do not love the world or the things in the world. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. First John chapter 2, beginning with verse 7, we see the Apostle John writing, and he's kind of moving from this um, idea of walking in the light, and then he goes to Christ, who is our advocate and our propitiation, and then he uh, talks about the idea of walking and abiding, and walking in the same way that Jesus walks, verse 6, and then he comes into how does Jesus walk? How are we to walk? Whoever says that they, verse 6, abides in him ought to walk as Jesus walked or in the same way in which he walked. And so verse 7 is what we're picking up and we're going to verse 14 as we're listening to how Jesus walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray. Precious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is truth. It is the source of all truth and it is the only truth. We thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, embodies this truth you said that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Father, I thank you, Father, for this truth. I pray, Lord God, we would submit to this truth, that we would align our lives to this truth, that everything that we say and do and think, Lord God, would bring honor and glory to your Son, Jesus Christ, this morning. As we unfold your word, Lord God, teach it to our hearts. Help us not to be hearers of the word only, but doers. I pray, Lord God, that you would use it like a sharp and powerful double-edged sword. Use it to divide between our soul and spirit and our bone and marrow. Lord, help it to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And as always, Lord God, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. The Apostle John is writing, and um, he's, this 
it's a much later book. And um, he was the oldest of the apostles, and he died of old age. And after the island of Patmos, when he had finished Revelation, Jerusalem was already destroyed, so he really didn't have a home to go back to. He went and settled and lived out the remaining years of his life in Ephesus. This is church history. You won't find this in Scripture. And while he was in the church of Ephesus, a lot of times they would ask the Apostle John, a follower of Jesus, a writer of the Gospel of John, a writer of books of the Bible, to come up. It would be like we would bring him up on stage. And he would say, and we would say, tell us something. If Jesus was here, what would Jesus tell us? And John would always say the same things, according to church history. He would say, love, love, love one another. And then he'd go sit down. And they'd go, no, 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 wait, John, don't go sit down this time. And they, they write this, and they said, no, John, tell us something else that he would say and Jesus, and, and it, that Jesus would want us to know. And, and John would say, love, love, love one another. By this, everyone will know you're a disciple of Jesus. The emphasis this morning that John is writing here is he says, I'm writing you no new commandment. He's referring to John chapter 13, which we'll get into a second, about this idea of what is these commandments? There's two things that I think here in this first section from verses 7 to 11 that John is kind of communicating. And if you're taking notes, there's two action steps that every loving, authentic church must demonstrate. There's two action steps. He goes on a little further and he says, don't hate your brother. He that hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in light. And then he says, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. Why would we hate? I think we would hate because we live in unforgiveness. And so I think there's two action steps that every authentic church must demonstrate that, that the apostle John is kind of settling in and he said, you've been saved, you understand that Christ is our advocate, that he's our propitiation, and now I'm giving you a new commandment that's really an old commandment, but it's a new commandment, and it's the fact that you need to take these two action steps, and he's dealing with these two themes here in verses 7 through 11, and the actions, first action step that he gives us here is that of forgiveness, the first action step is that of not hating, but forgiving. Don't hate. The reason I'm starting with this is because I'm going to circle back around to the second action step, which will be love. But the first action step is that of forgive. I want to go through a series of scriptures because this is not something that's new. It's not just something that's unique to John. In fact, all through the scripture and the writings of Paul and the writer of Hebrews and the Jesus from Matthew and Luke say the same thing. If we are Christians, then we must forgive. Who do we forgive? What do we forgive? Yes, we must forgive everyone. 
Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So we are saved under the shed blood of Jesus Christ. People are saved only through the shedding of blood through Jesus Christ. And so because of his shed blood, therefore there is forgiveness for us. And if we've been forgiven, then we must forgive. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22, Jesus says, then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother who sins against me? And he says, seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Matthew 6, 14 and 15, Jesus again. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Ouch. Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them after you punch them in the face five times. I'm sorry, that's not in there. It's what you want to do, but you don't. Have you ever heard that verse before? If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you, say, I repent, you must forgive them. That's a lot of forgiving, isn't it? For them being stupid, right? No, forgive them every time. This is how we demonstrate that we're followers of Christ. This is how we demonstrate that we're saved. We forgive and we love The Apostle Paul says the same thing, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice or hatred. Verse 32, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Colossians 3.13, the Apostle Paul continues, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Ouch. The first action strip to demonstrate that we are growing in spiritual maturity is that we forgive. You don't know what they did to me. Well, I know what they did to Jesus, and he hadn't done anything to anybody except offer them a way to eternal life. The second action step is to love. Love Christians, love others, love your enemies. Love. So look at this. He says, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The beginning of what? The beginning of time? No, I think he's talking about the beginning of the Christian faith. I think he's talking about John 13, 34, and 35. In John 13, 34, Jesus says to his disciples, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. 
So the beginning commandment, the, the, the commandment we've had since the beginning. Now remember, this is second century, early second century. This is 33 AD. So, I mean, we've had 70 years, and he's talking about the inception of the church, and he's saying Jesus taught us to love one another. This is the new commandment. And so he says, I'm writing to you no new commandment, meaning it's been around since the beginning of the Christian faith, guys. Love one another. And at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Now he's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, of God being in our lives, because darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. Meaning that the work of the Holy Spirit in us is that God is light. It goes back to John chapter, 1 John chapter 1, early on, when it said, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So that God is in us now, and he's pushing out the darkness. So that it would conform us, that God would conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And so there's this sense that when you, when you are walking in the light, you're walking in forgiveness toward those that wrong you, and you're walking in love. Because these are, the these are the demonstrations to everyone to know that you're a follower of Christ or you're a Christian. If you're not walking in love and you're not walking in forgiveness, then maybe you're not walking in the light. And I'm here to tell you, it's not the new definition of love. Love is holy. It's godly. It's based upon what the word of God says love is. And even though love, even though, and, and, and here's the deal, that love that we're to give is to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Luke chapter 6, verse 35, now he says to give love to our enemies, but love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and you shall be children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22, the apostle Peter says, Seeing that you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto, he's talking to believers now, unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Unfeigned, meaning untethered, unchained love to Christians, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Not haphazardly, but fervently. You know, Christians should demonstrate forgiveness and love to everyone. This is how we know. I've heard it said also in the, often in the church that Christians are the only ones that shoot their own wounded. Or when I'm sinning and I ask God to forgive me and then I come to church and I tell people of what I'm struggling with, they give me the scarlet letter and they make me feel worse than God did. That should not be so. Church, we have a sin problem, all of us. We have a Savior who has dealt with our sin problem. And when we repent of our sin, guess what? The Bible says he casts our sin as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers it no more. We're loving people through their sin, not in their sin. 
Does that make sense? Because Christ loves us through our sin. So we ought to love one another through their sin. And if Christ does that, then don't we ought to do that? Shouldn't we do that with others? Absolutely. And so the results then of this are that we abide in his light and it shines through us and we don't stumble. Well, that makes sense. If God is light and we don't stumble, it's beautiful. No cause for stumbling. But, verse 11, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. and Walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness, this is interesting language, has blinded his eyes. Have you ever been in a cave? Gone down with like cave dwelling or whatever? And you have light and then you turn off the light. It's the darkest it's ever been. And the cave, the cave guide goes, this is the darkest it could ever be because there's no outside light. Have you ever like taken your hand and put it in front of your face and tried to really look at it and you can't see it? There's no light, absolutely no light. And so what he's saying, the Apostle John is saying that if you hate your brother, won't forgive him, then what happens is you are walking in complete and total darkness. You have no idea where you're going. You can see, but it doesn't do any good because you're walking in darkness. Remember, he already dealt with the salvation issue. Now he's dealing with, now that you're saved, this is how you live. So the response is forgive and love. Where you walk in darkness and you're directionless due to the the blindness that the darkness has caused. People, it's interesting, people come to me and they go, man, I, I want to know what God's will for my life is. Here's, here's what the Apostle John's saying. Look, maybe you have no direction. Maybe you can't see where you're going. Maybe you don't know what God's will is because you're hating your brother. You can't know where you're going if you're hating and not forgiving. So forgive and love. That's the demonstration of God, of Christ being in your life. Then he pivots, and this is a poem or a catechism or something. It's written in a different way because he writes it very uniquely and poetically. The Apostle Paul gives us very linear engineering type conversation and writings. The Apostle John is a little bit more of a poet, and so he writes this part. In verses 12 through 14, he talks about the levels of spiritual maturity. And he writes it in a very paternal way, as a a grandfather would be talking to his, his son and grandsons. And he says, here's the levels of spiritual maturity, because discipleship really is paternal. And he's not talking about physical maturity. He's talking about spiritual maturity, and he talks about these different levels, and it's interesting because he repeats himself several times, and he does some things for emphasis in verses 12 through 14. And so if you're taking notes, the second part is is there's these levels of spiritual maturity 
that, that the Apostle John writes. And, and so wherever you are in the spiritual journey, spiritually, whether you're a new believer or a mature believer, this is the progression John is saying. I am writing to you little children. This is the earliest, the youngest. Because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. So little children... One of the first things that we need to know as Christians is that our sins are forgiven. We need to know the gospel. And what is the gospel? Number one, Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus bodily rose from the dead. What do we do with the gospel? We repent of our sins. We believe the gospel, which is Jesus is God. Jesus what? Died on the cross for our sins, and Jesus bodily rose from the dead. And we... Believe that message, and then we receive that message into our lives. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. We receive Christ into our lives. Romans 8, 9, anyone who doesn't have the spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. So there's the sense of we have the spirit of Christ in us. So there's the sense of little children... Your sins are forgiven. We're to know and live out this gospel as little children in the faith. So, but we don't stay there. Because then he goes and addresses fathers. Then he addresses young men. Then he addresses children. Not little children, but children. You know, think about it in regards to the natural sense. The idea of my children all walked differently. They all walked very, very differently at different ages. My, my oldest daughter, she was very advanced. She walked at eight months. My son, my second-born son, he walked at 16 months. I don't look at them and go, man, she's really bright. He's an idiot. No, I don't do that. They just progress differently just like we progress differently in our spiritual life. My wife and I have a 21-year-old and a 6-year-old because we're dumb. Well, Dad, uh, I don't even want to get into it. Okay. I was the dumb one. Okay. We have five children, and each of them are progressing differently. My... My six-year-old was potty trained, pretty much potty trained himself. It's great, right? One of my other kids, I'm not going to embarrass them, they didn't want to potty train. They would go hide and potty in their pants as opposed to going into the bathroom. And then they'd come out like everything was fine and you could smell it. They all train differently, but guess what? They're all growing into maturity, right? Think about that in the natural sense. It's the same way in the spiritual sense. The apostle John here is basically saying, little children, this is what you have to master as a little child. Master the gospel. A lot of you would say, man, we've mastered the gospel. The gospel's important, and we're living it out every day. Yes, 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 great. Your sins are forgiven. You're you're." You're a little child if you're still struggling with the fact. And here's the deal. Sometimes I'm still a little child because I still struggle with the fact that my sins are forgiven. 
And then he goes to the next level, and he goes to the fathers. Verse 13, I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Now, that, that, that looks, I look at that and I go, fathers are to know Christ was from the beginning. Christ was from the beginning. And he says this two times. If you look at it in verse 13, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who was from the beginning. And then you go down again. I write because I, uh, children, okay, right, verse 14. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. So he says this twice. It says two times. He says this twice to the fathers. What is he talking about? That you would know him who was from the beginning. I think the Apostle John is telling the fathers that if you're along this journey and you have spiritual children, fathers, you need to know the Old Testament and you need to know the Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, that it's all about him who was from the beginning, Christ. That from start to finish, this is all about Christ. That in the Old Testament, it's about Christ. That in the New Testament, it's about Christ. It's all about Christ, and Christ was there in the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, let us make men in our own image. Christ was there. In fact, in the Old Testament, we see these things that are called Christophanies. They're called Christophanies. That's Christ incarnate or Christ in flesh before Christ was actually born. Because Christ has always been. He doesn't have a start date. And, and, he's, and he's, he's always been. It's part of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let me explain it to you. I can't. Not very well. One times one times one equals one. I think it's fine for you math people, but Neapolitan ice cream is better for me. It's another way I can explain it. It's one flavor, but it's three flavors. Now, all of them break down. But I don't, but it's the idea that Christ was there in the beginning. And so to the fathers, he's saying, listen, you know what? You need to understand and know Christ was from the beginning. You have to know that the word of God is all about Christ. I think that's what the apostle John is saying here. As I studied this, man, it was trying to figure it out, and I was looking, and I was saying, we need to have knowledge of the Old Testament and New Testament, because the apostle Paul says the same thing to Timothy when he's teaching. He says, 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So this idea, Timothy, that you need to know the word of God all of it, and be able to rightly divide the word of truth. We have so many people that have so many different definitions of Scripture, and they take these Scriptures out of context, and they don't know that the entire Scripture is about Christ and about redemption and about God and what he wants to do, and they don't submit themselves to it, and then they try to teach it, and they lead people astray because they use words like hope and love. They don't deal with things like sin and forgiveness and wrath, and confession and repentance. They don't understand this. No, you have to teach the entirety of Scripture, not pick and choose your favorite parts and redefine words and symbols. No, the reality is we have to use the word of God in its entirety, and we should know it. And if you're a father in the spiritual faith, then you should know Christ was in the beginning. 
And then the apostle John then says, I'm writing to you young men, in verse 13, because you have overcome the evil one. He says that twice to the young men or to the adolescents. So if you're spiritually an adolescent, look down at verse 14. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Once again, he says, you have overcome the evil one. He says it twice. If you're spiritually in adolescence, you have, you have to have overcome the evil one. You have to be strong, disciplined, and the word of God has to abide in you. You have to know the word of God. It has to be in you. It has to dwell in you richly. And then he goes to the children. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. And he only says this once. So he has little children, he has fathers, he has young men. And then he goes to children and he says, because you know the Father. It's interesting, and I'm thinking this is older elementary, maybe middle school. He's saying children, so obviously under the age of 13. Because that's when children become responsible for their own sins according to the Old Testament. So, But I'm writing to you children that you know the Father. I think as children in the faith, do you know that God is our Father? that there's a security in that. My kids know that I'm their dad, and they're my kids. I'm their dad. Those are my kids. My kids go, that's my dad. At, at the end of the day, you look at that and you go, okay. But it's based upon this idea of security, that there's a security in knowing that God is our father. John chapter 6. Verse 37. Jesus is talking. I'm like, that's not what it says, but it's because it's John 7, 37. John 6, 36, it says, But I said to you, you have seen me, and yet you don't believe. And then verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. There's a security when you have God as your Father and you know that God is your Father. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16 says that we were adopted as his children. Adopted. We weren't fostered, we were adopted. My wife and I did some work with some fostering uh, in the fostering process and stuff. And one of the things about fostering that I thought was pretty horrific is that after a season, the foster parents, if there's, they're not getting along with the child or there's some disobedience with the child or it's just not working, they can give the foster kids back. But when you adopt them, you can't give them back. And in Romans 8, it says that we were adopted He's not giving us back. We're his. Remember that idea of advocate? He's our advocate. Christ is our advocate. 
He's our propitiation, which means the wrath of God was poured out on Christ and, that re- and he restored that relationship for us. No, when we as children know God the Father, we know the security that comes from having a relationship with the Father. He's not giving us back. We're adopted. And therefore, because we're adopted, we're co-heirs to the kingdom of God. So we don't have to walk in insecurity. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. No, we can know that we are secure that he loves us, and that he won't unadopt us. He's adopted us, and he's made us his children. Why? Circling back around, because he loves us, and he's forgiven us. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for our sins. And therefore, because of Christ, therefore, we are accepted into his family. And so the apostle John is saying, here's the process of spiritual maturity. Here's the process of spiritual growth. And just like my children were different in the way that they developed, so you're different in your spiritual journey and the levels of spiritual maturity. But here's the benchmarks that John's saying. If you're a little child, settle in on this. If you're a child, you need to know the Father, God. If you're a young man or a young adolescent in the faith, you need to overcome the evil one twice, strong, and the word of God abides in you. And if you're a father, then you know Christ from the beginning. You have a great knowledge of the word of God. The beauty is this, that God loves you. He's adopted you as his child. And if you're here today and you're living in insecurity, maybe that's what you needed to hear. And if you're here and you're saying, you know what? Man, I barely know the gospel. Hey, your sins are forgiven. Young man, overcome the evil one. Stay strong in the word of God. If you're a child, you know know the Father's security and love. Once the question of salvation is settled, then it's up to Christ to grow us. And how do we grow? We start with love and forgiveness. We've received the love and forgiveness of Christ, so now we should demonstrate the love and forgiveness to others. Then there's a process of growth that John gives us. And I don't know where you are in this process, but let me encourage you. This is a place for you to be able to grow. Coastal Church is a place for you to be able to grow in that relationship. And not just you, but your entire family. If you'd say, hey, you know what? I want more than Sunday mornings. Good. We've got discipleship groups. We've got coaching. We've got counseling. Step in. Stop dating the church. Commit. Marry it. Marry her. Get it it all in. Go all in. Go to a We Are Coastal class and then commit. Because here's the thing. You will grow in your spiritual life as we continue to study the word, as we continue to submit ourselves to the authority of the word of God in our life. This is what it is as we love each other and we walk in forgiveness with one another. I'm gonna have the worship team come up. If you're here today and you say, you know what, man, I need to grow. It's time for me to grow up. Time for me to take the next step in my spiritual growth. 
There'll be some people underneath the screens that would love to take a Bible and pray with you. If you say, I don't know Jesus Christ, I've never received the gospel, you can do that right now, and today can be the day of salvation. They'll be under the screens. There'll be people in the back prayer chapel. Don't leave here without settling that in your life. If you'd say, hey, you know what? I want to be a spiritual father. I want to be, I want to move from being a child to being a, an adolescent. Don't leave here without committing that. He has given us his word. He's given us his son, Jesus Christ. As we go from here, as we come, as we finish, I want to pray for you that we would be more and grow more in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's truth. I thank you, Lord God, that you are so patient with us, Lord God. Some of these achievers, Lord, are way further ahead. But Lord God, you are patient and loving with each one of your children. So grow us, Lord God. Love us enough not to stay where we are, but help us to take that next step. Even when we take three steps back, Lord, help us to continue to move forward and take the next step and the next step and the next step. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's truth. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray, Lord God, you would draw them to yourself, that they would get out of their seats and they would come for prayer. We love you and thank you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name.